the Greek poet Constantin P. Kevafi is one of the central figures of modernity. Let us plunge right now, right away, into one of his most compelling poems. This poem is entitled To Remain. It is, as I think is clear, a love poem. Here then is Constantin Kavafi's To Remain. It must have been one o'clock in the morning or half past one. In a corner of the tavern, behind the wooden partition. Aside from the two of us, the shop was completely deserted. A kerosene lamp scarcely lighted it. Dozing at the doorway, the waiter dead for sleep. No one would have seen us, but already we had excited ourselves so much that we became unfit for precautions. Our clothes were half opened. There were not many, for the divine month of July was scorching hot. Enjoyment of the flesh between our half-opened clothes, quick bearing of the flesh, the vision of what occurred twenty-six years ago and has now come to remain among these verses. The poem begins with an effort to recall it must have been one o'clock in the morning or half past one. That introduction marks the poem off as an effort of memory or memory conjoined with the imagination to recapture something long past. I think as we go through Kavafi's lyric poems, we will see that that effort to reimagine and recapture the past is one of his central concerns. It's one of the signatures, the hallmarks of many of his poems. The poem continues in a corner of the tavern behind the wooden partition. I think this is also important. We're Kavafi, not to have written any other poems, I think the lines would have described a place. But this place that is described in a corner behind the partition is, I believe, the locus, the place in which his poems tend to take place. Kavafi's Lyric poems, his poems about himself and his times, are poems about life on the margins, at the edges of what enters into language, or to use a more contemporary term, discourse. So that this poem is set in a corner behind something, a partition, perhaps marking out a booth or section of the, of the tavern, but behind something and hard to see, I, I think is revelatory of the subject of his poems. The tavern is deserted. It is barely lit, so it's not only a corner and behind a partition, but we're peering into the darkness. The waiter is so tired that he dozes. The next line again is 
a line shaped by the imagination. No one would have seen us. He doesn't say no one saw us. He hypothesizes. He invents this situation. The situation, I believe, actually occurred. But what we are encountering in this poem is not the experience itself, but memory's attempt to recapture it. Memory using powers at its disposal. No one would have seen us, he tells us, but already we had excited ourselves so much that we became unfit for precautions. Here at the very center of the poem, the central line of the third of five stanzas, he claims we had excited ourselves so much, and clearly, clearly, this is the central subject of the poem. A long ago moment of excitement, of passion, of sexual energy, which has somehow remained in his memory and is now reimagined and recaptured. The poem continues, enjoyment of the flesh between our half-opened clothes, quick bearing of the flesh. In those two lines, I think one feels what the two impassioned young people feel and sees in this darkness at the back behind the partition 26 years ago why the poem is memorable, the clothes are half opened, that sexual excitement, that enjoyment of the flesh is in fact actualized as the clothes part and hands explore. And then the poem turns to its sense of the past, the vision of what occurred 26 years ago and has now come to remain among these verses. So that past vision now lives on in memory and in the poem which memory makes. The themes that are sounded here, the passion which is secretive, the remembrance of that passion being turned into poetry, the relation between bodily passion and disembodied memory. All of these themes, and certainly that theme of sexual excitement, are characteristic of the lyric poems written by Cavafy. Let me read to remain again. It must have been one o'clock in the morning or half past one in a corner of the tavern behind the wooden partition. Aside from the two of us, the shop was completely deserted. A kerosene lamp scarcely lighted it. Dozing at the doorway, the waiter dead for sleep. No one would have seen us, but already we had excited ourselves so much that we became unfit for precautions. Our clothes were half opened. They were not many, for the divine month of July was scorching hot. 
enjoyment of the flesh between our half-opened clothes, quick bearing of the flesh, the vision of what occurred 26 years ago and has now come to remain among these verses. Here is Kavapi's poem, The Tobacco Shop Window, which is about a meeting. Let me read the poem and then we'll look at it. They stood among many others near a lighted tobacco shop window. Their glances chanced to meet and they timidly, haltingly expressed the deviant desire of their flesh. Then, a few steps uneasily taken on the sidewalk until they smiled and gently nodded. And after that, the closed carriage, the carnal closeness of their bodies, the clasped hands, the met lips. That's a very brief poem. The meeting, as I think you can see from the poem or hear from the poem, is secretive and not open. The, the words in the poem that spring out are chanced timidly, uneasily, deviate. So there is something secretive about this. And in fact, the meeting is between two men who look at that object of male interest, a tobacco shop window. They're looking at pipes and pipe tobacco, cigarettes, cigars. And as they look at this window, their glances chance to meet. Their first response is awkward and kind of pulling back. They timidly, haltingly expressed, then this strange word, the deviant desire of their flesh. Kavafi was writing in a time before our own, in a time in which desire between men and love between men was not always openly expressed, and certainly when it was expressed was very likely to be branded as deviant. What comes into his language here is a social language, the language of society, which branded homosexual liaisons, homosexual loves as deviant or abnormal or uh, even non-human. So uh, these two young men, well, we don't know from the poem that they're young men. These two men uh, timidly, haltingly express their desires, which are deviant desires. And, and one notices that their communication is coded. That is, they don't speak to one another. They, they exchange looks and probably bodily sing signals of the most minute sort. Then a few steps uneasily taken on the sidewalk. They're uncertain about the people around them. They're uncertain about one another. They're uncertain about expressing their own desires out in public, however secretively. Then a few steps uneasily taken on the sidewalk until they smiled and gently nodded. So the smile indicates 
both desire and its possible fulfillment and an interest in one another and a nod is the agreement to go off. There's a new three-line stanza after this and after that the closed carriage. We're talking about a time in the past when automobiles were not common and so they get in a a carriage, a horse-drawn carriage with the sides, curtains drawn, and they're in that dimness and in that protection from the eyes of others, the carnal closeness of their bodies, the clasped hands, the met lips. The furtiveness of homosexual encounters is, I think, well portrayed in this next poem he asked about the quality. In it, a young man who is working as a clerk, something which Kabafi himself did, uh, leaves his office, walks down the street, loiters looking for something of interest, not ready to go too quickly down the poor alleys to the poor home in which he lives. The home is not described as poor, but the alleys are. And he passes by a small store which sells cheap merchandise for working men, looks inside and sees a face which attracts him. And so he enters I quote the poem here, pretending he wanted to see some colored handkerchiefs. He asked about the quality of the handkerchiefs. And in his asking, you'll hear if you listen attentively, in his asking, in not the words he says, but the way those words come out, choked, faded by longing, He sends some kind of message about what he wants and how thwarted he is. And in the answer from the clerk, he realizes that the clerk, too, has a similar longing. And the clerk has a, and I quote the poem, latent consent. So the two men talk about the handkerchiefs. They look at the handkerchiefs he might purchase and their hands mingle with one another. And they even go farther, unable to keep themselves from one another. But still always, as the last lines tell us, always furtive and fleet, always secret and quick. So that the storekeeper who sits in the store will not see them touching one another, making contact. There is to this poem something that I greatly admire about Kabafi. I myself am heterosexual and do not have great contact with the world of homosexual encounters. It is part of the world. It's, it's a part of human experience which I have not experienced. And I think Kabafi gives me entrance, gives me eyes and feelings which allow me to understand 
to some degree the lives and experiences of people who are not myself, people with whom I have much in common, but who also possess their own unique concerns and desires. In writing about this splendid translation by Ray Dalvin, from which all these poems come, uh, the British poet W.H. Auden, a great admirer of Kavafi, said, one duty of a poem, among others, is to bear witness to the truth. As a witness, Kavafi is exceptionally honest. He neither bodlerizes nor glamorizes nor giggles. The erotic world he depicts is one of casual pickups and short-lived affairs. I sense the same thing in Kavafi. Unlike Auden, who was gay, I am not. But there is something direct and honest about Kavafi in many of the poems, all of the poems that we will be encountering. And I think it comes forward in, in this poem about the longing that is suppressed and erupts, but always, to quote the last lines, furtive and fleet. This is a world in which sexual passion and sexual love are all too often furtive and fleet, or as Auden puts it, pickups and short-lived affairs. Let us, let us not forget, though, that these poems are about passion. They are about love. Here, then, is Konstantin Kavafis. He asked about the quality. He came out of the office where he had been hired in a menial and low-paying position, about eight pounds a month, gratuities included. When the miserable work that had kept him stooped all afternoon was over for the day, he came out at seven o'clock and strolled slowly and loitered on the street. Handsome and interesting, so that he appeared to have arrived at the full yield of his senses. He passed his twenty-ninth birthday a month ago. He loitered on the street and in the poor alleys leading to the dwelling where he lodged. Passing in front of a little shop where they sold cheap and shoddy merchandise for laborers, he saw a face inside. He saw a figure that attracted him and he entered, pretending he wanted to see some colored handkerchiefs. He asked about the quality of the handkerchiefs and what they cost in a choked voice almost faded by longing. And the answers came in the same vein, distracted in a low voice containing a latent consent. They kept on finding something to say about the merchandise, but their only aim, the touching of their hands over the handkerchiefs, the coming close of their faces by chance their lips, a momentary contact of the limbs. Furtive, and fleet so that the storekeeper who sat in the rear would not notice anything. These poems are about what my students accurately perceive to be foreplay, about the encounter between two men secretively, furtively, quickly, 
as they attempt to make contact both between persons and actual physical. This next poem is about not making contact, about hiding desire, about seeking out tawdry sex for money. This is this takes place in a house of male prostitution, seeking quick sex rather than love. Let me read the poem on the stairs. As I was going down the infamous stairway, you were coming through the door, and for a moment I saw your unfamiliar face and you saw me. Then I hid, so you would not see me again, and you passed by quickly, hiding your face, and you dove into the infamous house where you couldn't have found pleasure, as I didn't find it. And yet the love you wanted, I had it to give you. The love I wanted, your eyes told it to me, your tired and distrustful eyes. You had it to give to me. Our bodies sensed and sought each other, our blood and our skin understood. But the two of us hid, disturbed. The poem is about hiding. When he sees his friend, finds it, his face unfamiliar, unfamiliar because it appears in a place he hadn't expected it, he says, then I hid so you would not see me again. And you pass by quickly, hiding your face. Both of them get the sex they seek in this infamous house where you couldn't have found pleasure as I didn't find it. And yet, the love you wanted, I had it to give you. And despite his friend's tired and distrustful eyes, you had it to give me. Their bodies want that love. Our bodies sensed and sought each other. Our blood and our skin understood but the two of us, the poem concludes, but the two of us hid, disturbed. More often than not, though, in Kavafi's poems, prudence gives way to passion, timidity, or being careful is supplanted by desire. In the poem, The 25th Year of His Life, a man goes to meet someone he met a month before. Here his passion and his sexual need outweigh his prudence. He goes night after night because he so deeply desires to consummate his love once again with his bodily love and his emotional union, both, with a man he met a month before. Yeats writes, my heart sick with desire and fastened to a dying animal. I don't know that in this poem the heart is fastened to a dying animal, but it is sick with desire. All his flesh suffers from the persistent desire, Kavafi tells us. And at the end of the poem, 
he tries naturally not to betray himself. But, the palm worm warns, sometimes he is almost totally indifferent. He knows to what he is exposing himself. He has made up his mind. It, it, it is not unlikely that this life of his may bring him to a disastrous scandal. So in this poem, the protagonist is so desirous of sexual consummation and sexual union that he's accepted his fate. His fate is to be branded as dissolute, as deviant, to be the object of public exposure and scandal, and yet he goes regularly to the tavern anyway. And that's how the poem, The 25th Year of His Life, begins. He goes regularly to the tavern where they had met each other the month before. He inquired, but they had nothing precise to tell him. From their words, he understood that he had made the acquaintance of some entirely unknown person, one of the many unknown and suspicious youthful figures that used to go by there. But he goes to the tavern regularly at night, and he sits and looks toward the entrance. He looks toward the entrance to the point of weariness. He may walk in. He may still come tonight. For almost three weeks he does this. His mind has grown sick from lust. The kisses have stayed on his mouth. All his flesh suffers from the persistent desire. The touch of that body is over him. He longs for union with him again. Naturally, he tries not to betray himself. But sometimes he is almost indifferent. Besides, he knows to what he is exposing himself. He has made up his mind. It is not unlikely that this life of his may bring him to a disastrous scandal. There is a clarity and a freshness about Kavafi's poetry. It comes, I think, from the directness of the poems. Even though the poems themselves take as their subject coded language, difficulty in relating, uh, the transitoriness of human interaction, the poet in recollecting and imagining and recreating these experiences avails himself of a language and a form that is unusually direct. I don't read Greek. The people who translate Kavafi and those who write about him all speak of the extraordinary and really untranslatable mixture in Kavafi of the old classical Greek and the demotic Greek. Demotic comes from the Greek word demos or people, the, the language of the streets. In this sense, Kavafi is, I think, very close to Guillaume Apollinaire, who's writing at really the same time and is trying to loosen up 
the classical nature of French language to bring in the language of daily speech. Cavafy's use of classical Greek roots as poetry in one of the oldest poetic traditions we have. But his use of the demotic roots as poetry in the life we live every day, in the social world that goes on around us, in our own contemporaneity. And I think that use of a language that is straightforward and of the streets conjoined with his straightforward exposition makes for a remarkable poetry that seems less marked by its time and place than most poems. That is, Kavafi writes lyric poems about his own and human experiences, and he does so by eschewing ornament, avoiding poetic language, and by speaking directly. And I think that is part of the source of his power. Here is Days of 1909, 1910, 1911. And as we move into this poem, we come upon a theme very dear to Kavafi's heart the relation between beauty and its destruction at the hands of time. The poem presents us with a young man, very poor, a blue collar worker. He works uh, at a blacksmith's. He has very little money. He dresses in rags, actually in clothes that are grimy and he has one faded suit he wears, although occasionally loving beauty as all humans do, he seeks something beautiful by selling his body. Let me read the poem and then we'll look at the oppositions which structure it. Days of 1909, 1910, 1911. He was the son of a harassed, very destitute mariner from an island on the Aegean Sea. He worked at an ironmonger's. He wore very old clothes. His work shoes were torn and wretched. His hands were grimy with rust and oil. In the evening, when the shop had closed, if there was something he desired very much, some rather expensive tie, some special tie for Sunday, or if he had seen in a shop window and craved some beautiful blue shirt, he would sell his body for a dollar or two. I ask myself, if in the days of antiquity glorious Alexandria possessed a more superb-looking youth, a lad more perfect than he, who had been wasted. Of course, no statue or painting was ever done of him, cast into the filthy old ironmongers, quickly by heavy labor and by common debauchery, so wretched he was destroyed. As I said, the poem is structured by oppositions. The boy is 
impoverished. He comes from a destitute father. He wore very old clothes. His shoes are torn and wretched. His hands are grimy with with the remains of his work, uh, with, with rust and oil. And opposed to that are in the second stanza, the expensive tie, and back to the poverty to get that beautiful tie or the beautiful blue shirt. He must sell his body. He's so poor. But the real opposition between poverty and perfection is between the outward poverty in which he lives and the splendor of his body and his face. The poet asks himself, but it's a rhetorical question, no glorious Alexandria, even in its greatest days, even in its days of, of Anthony and Cleopatra, the great kingdoms of Egypt, glorious Alexandria never possessed a more superb looking youth, a lad more perfect than he. Another opposition in the poem is between youth and destruction. The extraordinary bloom of beauty on this young man is destroyed quickly by heavy labor and by common debauchery. That is the work he does and the sexual service that he engages in both wear him down and destroy his physical perfection. The richness of the human body, so perfect, so superb looking, the richness of that body is contrasted by the waste of the world in which we live, in which beauty is not admired, except when people buy it for a dollar or two, in which the handsomest among us still must work at a greasy ironmonger's, in which the most beautiful are bought and sold for cash. The poem is wonderful in its irony. At the very end, the poet says, of course no statue or painting was ever done of him. Cast into the filthy old ironmongers quickly by heavy labor and by common debauchery, so wretched he was destroyed. This beautiful, perfect young man was destroyed. No statue or painting was ever done of him, so we can't compare him to the glorious youths of Alexandria, of whom some statues remain. That's what the poem says. Of course, what it does is quite the opposite. It captures in its lines, through memory and the imagination, it captures the perfection of this youth and the terrible waste of his destruction. No statue or painting was ever done of him, the poet says, neglecting to mention that one poem, this poem, memorializes him, captures him, witnesses to him, as well as any statue or painting could. Time, the destroyer of beauty and of all things, weighs heavier on the poet's mind in the poem Since Nine O'Clock. The title is called Since Nine O'Clock. The poem occurs at half past 12. That phrase half past 12 occurs three times in the poem. 
the time has passed quickly as he sits all alone in the house, he, the poet, and thinks. What he thinks of is his youthful body. And remembering his youth, he remembers his past loves and passions. And then he realizes that the passionate encounter sometimes took place on streets that have now become unrecognizable, the cafes where he met his lovers have ceased existence. His body has declined and so in fact have his family. He thinks of mourning, of grieving over his family members. He thinks of the separations from other people the feelings that he and others felt in the past are gone. The dead are gone and no one respects them. Time has passed. And in this poem, despite the effort of the imagination to recover, so little remains. Since Nine O'Clock by Kabafi. Half past twelve. The time has passed quickly since nine o'clock when I lit the lamp and sat down here. I sat without reading and without speaking. With whom could I speak all alone in this house? Since nine o'clock when I lit the lamp, the vision of my youthful body has appeared and found me and reminded me of closed, heavily scented rooms and pleasure long past. What audacious pleasure! And it also brought before my eyes streets that have now become unrecognizable, centers full of movement that are ended, and theaters and cafes that once used to be. The vision of my youthful body appeared and brought me also the sad memories, family mournings, separations, feelings of my dear ones, feelings of the dead so little esteemed. Half past twelve, how time has passed. Half past twelve, how the years have passed. But deep as the nostalgia is in that poem, heavy as the regret for what is lost, there is that moment at the poem's center when the vision of my youthful body has appeared and found me and reminded me of closed, heavily scented rooms and pleasure long past. What audacious pleasure. And this is, I think, the central dynamic in many of Kavafi's poems, poems in which memory seeks out the past there is always the sense the past is being reconstructed, that it is lost and that it is gone. And yet from that past, something is saved by the imagination. In the poem I'm going to read now, what is saved from destruction is the image. In English, image and imagination are of course linked the image which the poem captures for all posterity. This is called Days 
1908. It's about a young man who is without work, who plays cards for money, barely makes do, has the great pleasure when he has enough money of taking baths in the morning in the bathhouse. And yet what remains is not his hand-to-mouth existence or his worthless clothes. What remains is the image of him, flawlessly handsome, a marvel. Days of 1908. That year he found himself out of work, and so he existed playing at cards or backgammon or on borrowed money. A position at three pounds a month in a little stationery store had been offered him, but he refused it without any hesitation. It didn't do. It was not the pay for him, a young man with enough education, 25 years old. He won or didn't win two or three shillings a day. At cards and backgammon, what could the boy earn in the cafes of his class, the popular ones, though he played shrewdly and chose dunces for partners? His borrowings, there were plenty and more. Rarely did he find a dollar, more often a half dollar. At times he was brought down to a shilling. Some weeks, at times more often, when he was spared the ghastly staying up at night, he refreshed himself at the baths in a morning swim. His clothes were appallingly shabby. He always wore the same suit, a cinnamon-colored suit that was pretty much faded. Oh, days of summer of 1908, from your image for beauty's sake, the faded cinnamon-colored suit is gone. Your image has watched over him when he took off, when he flung away from him the worthless clothes and the mended underwear, and he remained entirely naked, flawlessly handsome, a marvel, his hair uncombed, standing up a little, his limbs somewhat tanned by the sun, by the morning nudity at the baths, at the beach. Indeed, your image, the image of the days of summer, 1908, have watched over this young man and have captured him in those passionate, passionate lines with which the poem concludes. When he took off, when he flung away from him the worthless clothes and the mended underwear, and he remained entirely naked, flawlessly handsome, a marvel, his hair uncombed, standing up a little, his limbs somewhat tanned by the sun, by the morning nudity at the baths at the beach. Kavafi was born in Alexandria when there were political troubles in Egypt and it was difficult for the Greeks there. He spent several years in his, uh, around his 20th year in Constantinople, the city that is now called Istanbul. He went back to Alexandria. He worked for many years as a clerk in the Ministry of Irrigation. In the evenings, he would meet with many of the best poets and 
most interesting figures in the Greek community in Alexandria, uh, in a kind of literary circle. And he wrote poems, living a life of the literary imagination. Many of the poems which he wrote never saw publication, but those which did capture for us something of the passion that is one of the high points of the relation between passion even if one is embarrassed about it even if one feels one's sexual excitement is deviate and wrong the relation between passion and sexual excitement and art is often clear in Kavafi's poetry nowhere more so than in the next two poems this is called understanding, and it is a reflection back on his life when he was young, on the passion and the sensuality which he experienced, and the futile repentances, his sense even now that his life was dissolute. It's a reflection back on that and what came of it. Understanding. The years of my young manhood, my sensual life, how plainly, how plainly I see their meaning now. What needless repentances, how futile. But I did not grasp their meaning then. Deep in the dissolute life of my young manhood, the designs of my poetry took shape. The scope of my art was being plotted. This is why even my repentances were never stable, and my resolutions to restrain myself to change lasted for two weeks at the very most. The poem testifies to desire and the fact that it cannot be thwarted, but even more, it testifies to the deep roots of his poetry in his passion, in his dissolution, in the excitement that gave life, even if through memory, to the words which are before us. Deep in the dissolute life of my young manhood, the designs of my poetry took shape, the scope of my art was being plotted. Again, a poem which recognizes the origin of poetry in passion, and here the Adjectives that stand out are deviate, sensual, hurried, without speaking, separate, furtive, uneasy, suspected, betrayed. All of these adjectives, and in some cases I've turned nouns or adverbs into adjectives, all of them are on one side of the scale, and on the other side of the scale is the word vigorous and vigorous weighs more, carries the day. Kavafi's Their Beginning. The fulfillment of their deviate sensual delight is done. They rose from the mattress and they dress hurriedly without speaking. They leave the house separately, furtively, and as they walk somewhat uneasily on the street, it seems as if they suspect that something about them betrays into what kind of bed they fell a little while back. 
let me, that's only half the poem. They have three lines to come, but I want to re-emphasize those lines, the deviate, sensual, hurried, without speaking, separate, furtive, uneasy, betraying sense. They have the sense that something about them as they walk on the street reveals that they have been in bed together dissolutely with another man, that they are deviants. So I'll read that stanza again, and then the final three lines dominated by vigorous. The fulfillment of their deviate sensual delight is done. They rose from the mattress and they dress hurriedly without speaking. They leave the house separately, furtively, and as they walk somewhat uneasily on the street, it seems as if they suspect that something about them betrays into what kind of bed they fell a little while back. But how the life of the artist has gained. Tomorrow, the next day, years later, the vigorous verses will be composed that had their beginning here. Let me acknowledge before we leave Gavafi that he wrote a different kind of poem. In fact, the majority of his poems are of the second sort. These are poems set in a historical period, set in the years in which Greece had been in decline after the end of the Alexandrian Empire, when Greece continued in colonies in Syria and in Asia Minor, in the years when uh, Europe took sway and Rome uh, also held sway uh, with the rise of Christianity. Kavafi writes poems about Greeks, about historical figures in these times. Those poems, by both comparison and contrast, reveal what we are and what we are not. They are ironic, they are clear, they are lyrical, and yet also quietly dramatic. But I believe it's in Kavafi's explorations of the hidden or often hidden aspects of modern human life. But I believe it is in Kavafi's exploration of a life that is often closed to us, either because we ourselves are not gay or because so much of literature either does not acknowledge homosexual life and homosexual longing, or masks that life and longing when it does appear. That it is because of this open and direct exploration that Kavafi speaks most originally and most deeply to us today. His subject is love and passion, and of course time. His vision is how, even when thwarted by social pressures, even when derided by social judgments, such passion has immense power, power in its fulfillment, however fleeting, and power in its capacity to lay seeds in memory, seeds which will flower and become fruitful and will sustain life and poetry ever after. 
Let us conclude then with a poem, a brief poem, called Passage, in which a student who has a course of study before him, books, thoughts, the rigor of logic, is led astray. This is really about the opposition between what Nietzsche called the Apollonian and the Dionysian, between rationality and passion, between following the path of learning and giving way to drunkenness. And in the student's turn towards passion, towards the drunkenness of his feelings, the deviant, erotic drunkenness, even as he yields to it, he is not destroyed, although we've learned from these poems that he may be destroyed by this. He is not destroyed in this poem, but he becomes a fit subject for poetry and becomes himself part of the lyrical world. Passage by Kavafi. Those things that a student timidly imagines are open plainly before him, and he roams and spends sleepless nights and is led astray, and since for our art it is right, voluptuousness enjoys his new ardent blood, deviant erotic drunkenness overcomes him and his young limbs yield to it. And so, a simple lad becomes worthy of our attention, and through the high world of poetry for a moment he too passes, the sensitive lad with his blood new and ardent. Kavafi is the poet of blood new and ardent, that he writes from a position of having aged and remembering the new and ardent blood, blood only through the imagination is in some ways irrelevant and in other ways it is central because it testifies to the power of memory, imagination and poetry. But what he testifies to most is the new and ardent blood that floods through all of us when we are young and that is always reclaimable through poetry.